get to the polls and vote for Greg Gianforte. You'll be very proud of him for years to come. I'm proud of him already. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Actually, it's another one of those days. It's an- the news fire hose, the news tsunami. Desi Doyen, I'm running out of metaphorical... News volcano, you forgot. Uh, there you go. The I news could also volcano. say the uh, news dumpter- dumpster fire. There you go. I am uh, running out of those kind of descriptions, I'm sorry to say, but we've got another one of them today, whatever you want to call them. So uh, hunker down, buckle up, (laughs) pop your popcorn. News roller coaster. Whatever you need to do uh, as we try to navigate through all of the noise and, and focus on just the stuff that you need to know. Or the stuff that you should want to know in any event. Uh, among them, since I mentioned Desi Doyen, uh, you've got a Green News report coming up a little bit later, which yes, everyone I do. loves. I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't get it. It makes no sense. Nonetheless, Jealous. yeah, a little. But no, you have uh, jam-packed this one with news. Six minutes, and yet how you get so much news into it today, or any day, frankly, but especially today, uh, is just amazing. So... That's ahead. You can look forward to that. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday on this program, we were talking about both the Congressional Budget Office's scoring of the Republican health care bill that they voted on three weeks ago, that finally the score for it finally came out from the nonpartisan CBO. So we, we talked about that with Jackie Schechner, and we also talked about the U.S. House special election that is in Montana Uh, On Thursday, it's a Thursday election as opposed to Tuesday. Most places have elections on Tuesdays for reasons we won't get into, but Montana has their special election on Thursday. Also for reasons we will not get into. Yeah, actually reasons I don't know if I understand. But anyway, (laughs) theirs is on Thursday, and you've got first-time Democratic candidate and populist folk singer Rob Quist 
facing off against Republican Greg Gianforte. We talked about both of those things on yesterday's show. Now, that's a race for Montana's U.S. House seat. Uh, it's one at-large seat. So if you're looking for uh, results on the Twitters, the hashtag is MTAL for Montana at large. Uh, they've got one House seat. It's a state. So it's a statewide election in a state that Donald Trump won last November by more than 20 points. But one that also elected a Democrat for its governor on that very same day last November. So you never know which way Montana is going to swing, I guess. But the House seat that has been vacated uh, by Congressman Ryan Zinke, who is now Donald Trump's Secretary of Interior, uh, Ryan Zinke, uh, he's thought uh, this that seat is thought to be a Republican seat, and Gianforte had thought to be in the lead, if only by single digits. It was going to be a close race. No, you know, no two ways about it. Quist was quickly gaining ground, raising lots of grassroots funding, barnstorming the state with Bernie Sanders over the past weekend, talking about health care and the need for uh, health care, talking uh, against this Republican American Health Care Act that was uh, jammed through the House three weeks ago before the CBO came back with its score. Nonetheless, Republican outside groups uh, looking at this race, seeing they might be in trouble. They have spent seven million dollars. These are outside groups alone spent seven million dollars on ads for this race. Now, Democrats have also spent a lot of money. It was mostly grassroots money. But outside groups have, have spent about $3 million themselves on ads in Montana, according to Politico. That's a lot of money for a House race, but they were outspent by Republicans uh, more than two to one, seven million to three million. So Gianforte, he, he has been closely aligning himself with Donald Trump. Donald Trump Jr. did a rally with him not long ago. And the president himself recorded a robocall for Greg Gianforte uh, that was playing this week. Here's part of that call. So you have to get to the polls tomorrow to vote for my friend, Republican Greg Gianforte for Congress. He's a wonderful guy. He knows how to win. He's going to win for you. And I'll tell you what, the people of Montana are going to be happy. We're going to have lower taxes, safe borders, great health care, and all of the other things that you so desperately want and need. So get to the polls and vote for Greg. That's Greg Gianforte. You'll be very proud of him for years to come. Yes. Thanks a lot. Yes. <laughs> this call was paid for by the Republican National Committee. Yes, we're all we are all very proud of Greg Gianforte. And you may have heard this story today. I don't know how you could have missed this story actually between last night and today. But there's a couple of points that I I, I want to uh, bring out on this because uh, it may come into play depending on what the uh, results end up being in this race. Um, folks are, in fact, today heading to the polls in Montana, but that uh, CBO score of the Republican health care bill came out the day before the election, and it found that the results, uh, that it would result in some 23 million Americans losing their health care over the next year. And uh, that and the Montana race came together in this on the eve of the election in a very, very big way. Now, remember, uh, Gianforte also ran last November himself in Montana's in another statewide election. He ran. He was the Republican candidate for governor, but he lost to the Democrat Steve Bullock. 
and then uh, almost immediately jumped into this House race once Ryan Zinke uh, vacated the House seat uh, to become the uh, Interior Secretary, and this special election was was called. Also remember, Gianforte is the guy who we played the audio a few days ago on this show. Remember, Gianforte was caught on tape earlier this month supporting, saying he was thankful for the uh, Republican health care bill after it had passed. Uh, he was talking in that case to fundraisers. Uh, actually, fundra- it was a fundraising call with lobbyists. And it was the very same day that he was out in public saying that, oh, he hadn't made up his mind yet about the Republican health care bill. He, he wanted to see it. Uh, he wanted to wait for the for the score, for the CBO score to come out. He wasn't sure whether or not to support the GOP health care bill. But, of course, he told the, fo- the 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 high big donor lobbyists on this phone call something completely different on the very same day. And we played that call. So we know he's a hypocrite or a liar, however you want to look at it. But it was when that CBO score came out late yesterday, just before Gianforte's final event on the eve of the election. He was in Bozeman, Montana last night at his campaign headquarters when those two things came literally, quite literally, crashing together in one of the most spectacularly remarkable moments that I I think I've ever uh, seen or heard of happening on the night before an election. And again, you may have heard about this, but if you didn't, I just want to document it here for the record and uh, some of the eyewitnesses to it, because this could, we'll see, this could come back uh, into play over the next few days and weeks. And months and years. Who knows? Ben Jacobs, the reporter for the UK's uh, for the Guardian newspaper, tweeted late last night, uh, quote, Greg Gianforte just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Body slammed him? Really? What does that mean? I guess I'm not a, a, a pro wrestling fan, but I think that, you know, you grab them, throw them on the ground. Uh, he he's that's all he said. That's all Greg said at the time. And then uh, I'm sorry that all that's all Ben Jacob said. And then he quickly added there was a local TV crew there when Gianforte body slammed me. Audio is posting soon at Guardian US. Whitney Berms, who's a reporter for uh, for the Bozeman, Montana Daily Chronicle. Uh, confirmed that Jacobs just reported this to Bozeman police, just heard it come in over the scanner. So he called the police after it happened. Alex Levinson, a BuzzFeed reporter uh, who was formerly at the National Review Online, uh, she uh, unleashed a tweet storm not too long after it happened. She said, so I was still there for this, still am. Uh, so I was there for this, still am. Wanted to to wait a bit to tweet because I'm not sure I've seen anything like this before. This happened, she said, behind a closed door, so I didn't see it all. But here's what it looked like from the outside. Ben walked into the room where a local TV crew was setting up for an interview with Gianforte. All of a sudden, I heard a giant crash and saw Ben's feet flying into the air as he hit the floor. Heard very angry yelling, as did volunteers in the room. Sounded like GN Forte. I can't quite remember the order, but the next few things were someone slamming the door, GN Forte's spokesman walking into the room, Ben Jacobs walked out holding his broken glasses in his hand, and he just saying, quote, he just body slammed me. The aide came over, told him he had to leave. Ben left. Gianforte and his aide went into a room, closed the door, stayed there for about 10 minutes. Then they walked out and only the aide came back in. 
And then she posts a, a scene from outside of all of this with a photo of uh, sheriff's vehicles, ambulances. And she adds, and there are cops here, too. And the firefighters told me they were talking to someone inside, but I don't know who. And Gianforte's aides had been behind closed doors in and out since then. Gianforte is now in a car with aides driving away. He's leaving the event without speaking. I was asked, I asked his aide what was going on, and he wouldn't answer. Now, remember, all of this is happening on the eve of the election, just hours before polls are to open. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Gallatin County Sheriff's now taking witness statements, Levinson said. To be clear, this all went down in Bozeman, Montana, at an event that was advised as that was advertised, I guess she meant, as a campaign meet and greet at Greg for Montana headquarters. Well, boy, howdy, was that a meet and greet? The way The Guardian reported it uh, shortly thereafter, the Republican candidate for Montana's congressional seat slammed a Guardian reporter to the floor on the eve of the state special election, breaking his glasses and shouting, get the hell out of here. Ben Jacobs, a Guardian political reporter. I've never seen a meltdown like this in, well, Ben Jacobs, Guardian reporter, was asking Gianforte, a tech millionaire running for the seat vacated by Ryan Zinke, about the Republican health care plan when the candidate allegedly body slammed the reporter. He took me to the ground, Jacobs said, by phone from the back of an ambulance. This is the strangest thing that has ever happened to me in reporting on politics, Jacobs said. Jacobs subsequently reported the incident to police. Gallatin County Sheriff's was investigating. A statement then was issued by the campaign spokesman Shane Scanlon blaming Jacobs for the incident. He said, uh, quote, that he, quote, entered the office without permission aggressively shoved a recorder in Greg's face and began asking badgering questions. Jacobs was asked to leave. The statement reads, after asking Jacobs to lower the recorder, Jacobs declined. Greg Gianforte then attempted to grab the phone that was pushed in his face. Jacobs grabbed Greg's wrist and spun away from Greg, pushing them both to the ground. It's unfortunate, the statement uh, reads, that this aggressive behavior from a liberal journalist created this scene at our campaign volunteer barbecue. Well, Scanlon's account appears to be contradicted somewhat, I should say, by the audio of what The Guardian calls the abortive interview recorded by Jacobs. This is the audio that Jacobs was recording at the time. It does not capture Jacobs uh, being asked to leave as the statement says, or to lower his recorder, as the statement says. But it does contain an apparent reference to The Guardian's previous attempts to report on GN Forte. Here now is as much of that audio as we've been able to find. ...to the CBO score, because you know you were waiting to make your decision about health care until you saw the bill and it just came out. And what yeah, you and we'll talk it. to you about that later. Yeah, but there's not going to be time. I'm just curious if you okay, have Okay, speak with right Shane, now. please. But you don't have... The last guy that came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. The last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Get the hell out of here. You'd like me to get the hell out of here, I'd also like to call the police. Can I get you guys' names? 
hey, you gotta leave. He just body slammed me. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's really I, I know when I first heard that my eye was just my jaw was on the floor uh, that uh, again that was the uh, that was the head of the I'm sorry the, that was the candidate the Republican candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives on the night before his election apparently slamming a reporter to the ground uh, Gallatin County Sheriff Brian Gutkin confirmed uh, last night that uh, his department was currently investigating the incident. He declined further comment at the time. Rob Quist, the Democratic candidate, for his part, declined to comment on the altercation when he was asked about it by reporters on Wednesday evening. Probably smart on Rob Quist's part. <laughs> I'll stay out of this, thanks. Yeah. He's doing a, a fine enough job of, uh, of, of finishing this election, this campaign. And a crew from Fox, and of course it happened indoors, and that audio, that was not video, that was audio, so who knows what really happened inside that. Who knows if Ben Jacobs has it right or if uh, uh, the, the spokesman, yeah, yeah the uh, Gianforte spokesman had it right. Well, Fox News, who is not known for, um, you know, uh, being unkind to Republican candidates, they happened to be in the room. Apparently a crew from Brett Baird's show was in the room. They witnessed all of this. Fox News did. To their credit, notes Ryan Grimm, who's now at The Intercept, uh, Fox is not even remotely covering for GN Forte. At least they weren't last night. From Fox's reporters and uh, their dispatch from the incident, here's what they said. And I, as far as I know, it's still on the Fox News website. From Fox News, this is uh, their direct quote. At that point, Gianforte grabbed Jacobs by the neck with both hands and slammed him into the ground behind him. Faith, Keith, and I watched in disbelief as Gianforte then began punching the reporter. Wow. As Gianforte moved on top of Jacobs, he began yelling something to the effect of, I'm sick and tired of this. Jacobs scrambled to his knees, said something about his glasses being broken. He asked Faith, Keith, and myself for our names. We hear that part at the end of the audio. In shock, they say, we did not answer. Jacobs then said he wanted the police called and, and went to leave. Gianforte looked at the three of us and repeatedly apologized because, of course... <laughs> There were Fox News. Sorry you had to see that, Fox News. Uh, They go on to say, at that point, I told him that we needed a moment. (laughs) To be clear, they say, at no point did any of us who witnessed the assault see Jacobs show any form of physical aggression toward Gianforte, who left the area after giving statements to local sheriff's deputies. So they were in this little room. They saw Jacobs show no form of aggression of any type, physical aggression towards Gianforte. And this is Fox News saying it. Whitney Burms, uh, who uh, was there uh, with the uh, Bozeman Daily Chronicle, said uh, uh, last night, breaking Greg Gianforte has been cited for a misdemeanor assault of reporter Ben Jacobs. Normally, that would be big news. Uh, I mean, it is big news, but a misdemeanor assault? Why is that only a misdemeanor assault? She says, Gian Forte must appear on the charge in Gallatin County Justice Court between now and June 7. Sheriff Brian Gutkin said the incident did not meet the Montana statutory element for felony assault. 
Versus simple assault. Versus misdemeanor, misdemeanor assault yeah. in this case. Gutkin also addressed his $250 campaign donation to Greg Gianforte. Oops. So he's a donor to the Gianforte campaign. Says, uh, quote, contribution has nothing to do with our investigation. Now, that may be true. It may or may not have anything to do with the investigation. But what the hell are law enforcement? Uh, Yes, they're citizens. They can donate to whoever they want. uh, But what the hell is why would they? You know, I'm a journalist. I have never donated to a campaign in my life because I I just don't think it would be appropriate for me to be able to report on these people when I've you know given money to a campaign or something like that. Seem like that would be even more true for law enforcement, doesn't it? Is that just me? You know, maybe it's only in the journalism industry. That's kind of an industry-wide suggestion that you refrain from doing that. Maybe it's not like that. I don't know. And I the don't, police I... industry culture, whatever you would call that. It seems to me like, yeah, if you're in a position of authority like that where you make those determinations about who gets to be prosecuted or not, it seems like it would be at least something that they should consider because in this as a case, guideline. Even if uh, misdemeanor assault is the appropriate charge to bring against uh, Gianforte, it still raises questions. It raises the perception issue. The the appearance of conflict of interest. That is always the the worry. Not just conflict of interest, but the appearance of. Right. Um, Whitney Burms of the Daily Chronicle goes on to say, Also, shortly before the announcement of the misdemeanor charge, one of Montana's biggest newspapers, the Missoulian, rescinded its endorsement of Gianforte. They actually put out a statement saying that we do not, uh, we we rescind our endorsement. And most of the major newspapers uh, in Montana are kind of right-wing-ish. They had endorsed him previously. Uh, Bozeman Daily Chronicle, in their report, went on to say uh, Rob Salden, a political science professor at the University of Montana, said the incident could be a sign that Gianforte campaign is worried about what Thursday's results may be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Quote, this is extremely bizarre behavior for a candidate in the final hours of a campaign, Selden said. A lot of things have been going wrong for the Gianforte campaign. This was supposed to be an easy win. If they're feeling totally confident today, I just don't see this kind of thing happening. That was last night. He called the incident, quote, totally nuts. But he added, and this is where uh, I'm, I'm focusing my thoughts here. He added that most people have already voted. This was by Wednesday night. Most people have already voted. He said some voters uh, actually also might support this sort of behavior, especially because Gianforte has tied himself so closely to Donald Trump. Trump supporters probably think it's awesome. Yeah, he took down a, he took down a journalist. Uh, finally. Punch him. Yeah. As of Wednesday, uh, and here's here's the key, to, uh, this was as of Wednesday night, 259,000 absentee ballots had already been turned in statewide. There are just under 700,000 total registered voters in Montana. So this is, by the way, this is just another one of those reasons why I'm no fan of early voting. I understand why a lot of people like it. I understand why voting rights uh, people like it, particularly in this country, particularly how difficult we make it for people to vote. Um, But, uh, you know, the best way to vote is on Election Day at the precinct on a piece of paper marked by hand. 
Talked a little bit about the Georgia race yesterday where they use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. And in that case, since you have no choice at the precinct on Election Day, yeah, you should use a paper absentee ballot. But in Georgia, as uh, uh, election integrity experts have advised in that case with this uh, special election coming up in Georgia, get an absentee ballot, but deliver it to county headquarters in person. That's the best way to guarantee that your your vote might actually be counted as cast. Uh, In any case, so people who had already filled out their absentee ballot, well, they missed the October surprise here. In this case, the May surprise. Um, the Thursday, but the, the Wednesday before the Thursday. Of the Thursday Republican vote, yes. candidate <laughs> beating the crap out of a out of a reporter. Somebody has some anger At management own, issues. Uh, yeah, you think? Uh, uh, Michael McDonald, however, we've had him on the show many times. He's a, an election uh, integrity guy. Um, he said, uh, uh, re- "There's replying to uh, election projects." Uh, he says, a str- uh, "Partisans vote early." because they're confident of their vote choice. But he says there is still a lot of play left in the Montana at-large election. So the people who were going to vote one way or another had already voted. Now it's up to the voters. We'll see what they do. But we will also see what Congress does, because depending on the results on this, Paul Ryan, House Speaker, Paul Ryan was asked about this today, uh, and he condemned uh, Gianforte, to his credit, he, he condemned Gianforte's alleged assault of a reporter, but he said that he will accept whatever the uh, folks of Montana decide to do. He will accept Gianforte into the Republican Congress if he wins. He said, quote, there's never a call for physical altercations. There is no time where a physical altercation should occur with the press or just between human beings. So what that is wrong and it should not have happened. He was speaking at his weekly press conference. Uh, Ryan said on Thursday that, quote, the gentleman referring to Gianforte uh, should apologize. Well, yeah, he should. And I don't know. If I don't he, think I, he I don't, has. I don't even think he has yet. <laughs> well, they're still holding on to their lie about their characterization of what happened. Uh, Ryan went on to say, I know he has his own version and I'm sure he's going to have more to say, but there's no call for this no matter what, under any circumstances. And then a reporter asked, if he wins, will you seat him? And this is important. Ryan said, if he wins, he has been chosen by the people of Montana who their congressman is going to be. I'm going to let the people of Montana decide who they want as their representative. That's not our choice. Well, here's the thing, Speaker Ryan. It actually is your choice. It is up to Congress. It's a power that uh, Congress has invoked many times in recent history, as I've been reporting over the past 15 years now on this stuff in Congress. Going, uh, the, Congress has gone so far as to inform states like California and Florida, right in the middle of investigations into whether candidates were properly elected in cases where you had questions about the results themselves. Congress has many times uh, noted that the people of the states of California and Florida, it is not up to them. It's not up to them. It's not up to their courts. They no longer have jurisdiction once Congress has decided to seat a candidate. And when this has come up, they always cite the Constitution, Article 1, Section 5, which does give Congress, not the states, but gives Congress the final authority on the issue of who is or isn't seated. 
in the House of Representatives or in the Senate. U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 5 says each house shall be the judge of the elections returns and qualifications of its own members. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. So they do not have to seat this guy. That section of the Constitution has been quoted on a number of occasions by members of Congress, both Republicans and Democratic over the years, particularly in regard to election contests after Congress has rushed to seat a new member of Congress, a lot of times in special elections. So it, that has been cited. It has been used as the basis in state courts when Congress has sent a letter to uh, to courts who are overseeing an election contest. Question about the results. Congress sends them a note and say, nope, not up to you anymore. It's up to us. We've seated them. This is our decision. It's uh, done. And the judges have tossed out such contests yep. uh, in state courts. You know, we've reported on it over the years at oh, Bradblog. Yeah. Special election back in uh, San Diego uh, back in uh, 2006. Another one in in, uh, several of them in Florida that we've uh, covered closely over the years. So that's where we are. I don't know what the people of Montana are going to decide, whether those who voted before or after the body slam of a reporter by the Republican candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. I don't know how they're going to vote. Happily in uh, Montana, I believe they do vote on paper ballots across most of the state. So we'll actually be able to count those ballots by hand, by human beings. Not that anyone ever does, but if we wanted to, we could in Montana. So I don't know how they're going to vote or not. But I will tell you, no matter how they vote, it is up to the House of Representatives and Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, to decide if this guy who slams a reporter onto the ground on the night before his election. It is up to Paul Ryan, ultimately, to decide if Greg Gianforte should or shouldn't be seated. Can't imagine how the people of Montana would vote for this guy, but I guess we'll find that out on the next thrilling edition of the Bradcast. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with uh, a a lot of other stuff that's going on today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay. Yep. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, well, you know, we, we at least we still have a free press uh, in these United States, uh, sort of, when they're not being body slammed by Republican candidates, I guess. Uh, and this is not the only uh, case where that has happened, by the way, Des, lately. We've seen a lot of cases like that. Tom Price is the Health and Human Service Secretary. Uh, he had a 
some of his security guards slammed a journalist uh, a week or so against the wall. Um, there was also one outside with the uh, FCC commissioner. Oh, yeah, right. And also in West Virginia, uh, a reporter was arrested for asking questions in a public facility. It was it's it's happening in a lot of places. Yeah, it is. And it's disturbing. Uh, and a fish rots from the head down. Nonetheless, uh, in theory, we still have a free press right now. Thank God. And uh, for now, we have a court system to try to. Uh, to, to try to you know keep this administration uh, from out and out violations of the U.S. Constitution. So there is that. And we've got on that front some good news today uh, and an update that is just breaking on this. The full U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals this is not a three judge panel, but this is now the entire the full court. And this appeals court uh, has upheld the preliminary injunction on Donald Trump's second travel ban, his second try at a travel ban. Chief Judge uh, Gregory, the opening paragraph of his decision is kind of remarkable. He's writing for the majority. It was a 10 to 3 uh, decision. And uh, as you know, that this has been challenged uh, by folks saying that this was a, a Muslim travel ban, that people are being barred from six different countries based solely on their Muslim religion in these Muslim-majority countries. So Chief Judge Gregory uh, writes this. He says, The question for this court, distilled to its essential form, is whether the Constitution, as the Supreme Court declared in 1866, remains, quote, a law for rulers and people equally in war and in peace. And, if so, whether it protects plaintiffs' right to challenge an executive order that in text speaks with vague words of national security, but in context drips with religious intolerance, animus, and discrimination. Judge Gregory writes, Surely the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment yet stands and as an untiring sentinel for the protection of one of our most cherished founding principles that government shall not establish any religious orthodoxy or favor or disfavor one religion over another. Congress granted the president broad power to deny entry to aliens, but that power is not absolute. It cannot go unchecked when, as here, the president wields it through an executive edict that stands to cause irreparable harm to individuals across this nation. Therefore, for the reasons that follow, we affirm in substantial part the district court's issuance of a nationwide preliminary injunction as to the Section 2C of the challenged executive order. Donald Trump loses again in court on his executive order uh, Muslim travel ban. Now, the breaking news um, uh, late today, just as we uh, actually in the middle of the last segment, this just came in from AP that Attorney General Jeff Sessions has said the Justice Department will ask the Supreme Court to review uh, the, uh, the appeals court ruling that blocked Trump's travel ban. So he has lost again, time and time again, in court after court after court on this over and over. And now their, um, well, their last shot is to go to the Supreme Court, which Republicans stole on behalf of Republicans by uh, failing for more than a year to seat the Democratic president's nominee to the Supreme Court, but Neil Gorsuch instead, the Donald Trump's nominee. So 
in theory, they've got a favorable Supreme Court now that they stole for themselves. That is apparently where this where this uh, case and this travel ban is now headed. It'll be interesting to see if I'm sure he's not going to read it. But if Donald Trump were to read it, I wonder if he would notice the part about the president does not have absolute power. Well, you know, the part about there being, you know, three branches of government, co-equal, checks and balances, all that stuff. He seems to be unclear on that. Well, that is what they've ordered. That's what somebody told him, that it is up to the president to determine immigration policies. And it is to a certain extent. But as the judge judge says, that power does not go unchecked. You can't uh, wield that power when it is in violation of the U.S. Constitution. And we'll that see is if the what, Supreme uh, Court agrees. That is what court after court has found. We, yeah. we will see if the Supreme Court agrees. Uh, OK, so that's some big news today. Also, um, well, this big news, and I want to, uh, this was actually first brought to my attention last night by um, by a guy over at Daily Coast who is a regular listener. He goes by the name of Blue State Green, uh, brought this to my attention because he actually ended up uh, 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 writing a, a, a Daily Coast diary on this for the first time in his life because he was concerned. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of cool. He was concerned that um, the U.S. was the U.S. media was not noticing this issue. Now, they have today, I think, in a big way. So that's a good thing. But um this starts with uh, well, let me go. Uh, let me let me start it here. Uh, a couple of days ago, this report came out. Uh, Donald Trump calls Kim Jong Un, North Korean uh, dictator, a quote madman with nuclear weapons during a transcript of a call with Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte last month. Now, during that call, um, the transcript which was taken by the 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 Philippine the Filipinos on this they released the transcript or it was obtained in any event by Washington Post and in that transcript Donald Trump is quoted talking about North Korea saying we have a lot of firepower over there quote including two nuclear submarines that were sent by the Pentagon to the region last month he tells the head of the Philippines, that we've got two nuclear submarines off the Korean Peninsula. That's kind of an extraordinary... I mean, it's one thing when it's the, uh, a battleship, an aircraft carrier that you can see, but submarines, nuclear submarines, uh, are uh, just about the most secret thing, for good or bad, but uh, just about the most secret thing any government, uh, any you know, government superpower actually has out there in the oceans. For him to tell a leader, in much less this particular leader, Duterte, who's kind of nuts, um, that, hey, we got two nuclear submarines over there. That's kind of incredible. All right. So that's the background, uh, part of the background uh, that you have to then add to Donald Trump. Uh, having this meeting with uh, these Russian dignitaries uh, several weeks ago and revealing highly classified information that came apparently from Israel that was not supposed to be revealed to anyone. Donald Trump can't keep a secret. So with that as the background, Blue State Green over Daily Coast drew my attention to this uh, because last night it was not being reported by U.S. media. He writes, uh, the incompetence is breathtaking. Who is going to resign over this? He says, this is my first diary here after 14 years of lurking. Multiple news outlets in the U.K. are reporting that the home security 
uh, of the UK, Amber Rudd has taken extraordinary the extraordinary step of publicly slamming and shaming the Trump administration for prematurely releasing the name of the Manchester bomber to the American press. The leak was significant in going against the express wishes of the UK police as they gathered evidence and chased suspects in the aftermath of the bombing. And then he goes on to quote from the Times and note this is the the London, the UK Times, not the New York Times or the L.A. Times. Quote, the Home Secretary rebuked Washington for passing on to American journalists critical information that had been given in the in confidence to the U.S. administration. Asked on BBC Radio 4's Today program if the information sharing may be working against what the police want in public. Home Secretary Rudd said yes. She added, quite frankly, the British police have been very clear that they want to control the flow of information in order to protect operational integrity, the element of surprise. So it is irritating if it gets released from other sources. And I have been very clear with our friends, she's talking about the U.S. here, that that should not happen again. This is highly unusual. This is very unusual for uh, the British to have to publicly reprimand uh, the U.S. for leaking secrets. Blue State Green goes on to say this is yet another example of a destructive, incompetent and mendacious administration and yet another disgraceful blow to the security and safety of those under the umbrella of the once indivisible five eyes. Do you know what the five eyes are by any chance, Des? Those are our co-partners in our spying yeah. internationally. Right. These and are, we all share information among those countries. It's an, Right. These are the five eyes this is the long-standing alliance uh, between Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and uh, the U.K. and the U.S. Uh, for a joint cooperation in intelligence and in signals intelligence, military intelligence, human intelligence. They share it. Now, all of a sudden... The U.K. has been forced to cut the U.S., to cut the United States of America off from that sharing, uh, that intelligence sharing agreement, because apparently someone in the uh, uh, the Trump administration just really, really wanted to get out the name of the uh, the suspect in this in this Manchester bombing, perhaps because the name of that suspect sounds kind of Muslimy. So they really wanted to get it out there quickly. Uh, I don't know, but that's what happened. And um, the U.K. is absolutely slamming the, uh, the the Trump administration for releasing that information. Now, today, Donald Trump called it deeply troubling that uh, leaks to the U.S. media uh, about the uh, Manchester bombing would be uh, would be leaked. He was troubled. That he was deeply troubled by that. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he said, didn't probably leak it himself, so maybe he's really? mad that he really. Didn't, Are you sure? Knows? No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, uh, that, uh, but he said that it would be investigated after irate British police stopped sharing information with U.S. agencies, according to Reuters. British Prime Minister Theresa May raised concerns with Trump at a NATO summit in Brussels telling him intelligence shared between their two countries had to remain secure. This was in a rare public show of dissatisfaction with Britain's closest security ally. So this was done publicly. This That's how that's ticked how bad off this they is. were about yeah. this. Trump said in a statement released after he arrived in Brussels for this NATO conference, uh, the alleged leaks coming out of government agencies are deeply troubling. I'm asking the Department of Justice and other agencies 
to complete a review of this matter. And if appropriate, the culprit should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Reuters reports the row comes as British police had stepped up their investigation into a suspected network behind Salman Abedi, the 22-year-old British-born man with Libyan parents uh, who reportedly blew himself up Monday night in that Manchester Arena attack that killed uh, 22 people, seriously injured scores more at an Ariana Grande concert. Over the past three days, they write days uh, over the past three days, several key details of the investigation, including the name of the bomber first came out in U.S. media, angering British police who feared such risks, such leaks, risked compromising their investigation. May raised the matter with Trump as they gathered for a group photograph at the NATO summit. So this was all done in public, apparently. Oh, yeah. She expressed the view that the intelligence-sharing relationship we have with the U.S. is hugely important and valuable, but that the information that we share should be kept secret. I'm speaking the way I'd speak to a (laughs) three-year-old. The decision to stop share. Again, no matter what you think of our security, what our intelligence forces, it's, it's, it's kept secret for a reason. This is until, she said, uh, such time as we have insurance assurances that, uh, I'm sorry, the, the decision to stop sharing police information with U.S. agencies was an extraordinary step for Britain, Reuters notes, which is usually at pains to emphasize its special relationship with the U.S. This is until such time as we have assurances that no further unauthorized disclosures will occur. That, according to a counterterrorism uh, source who spoke on the condition of anonymity, Uh, And they go on to say Trump was widely criticized this month after it emerged he had discussed sensitive Syria-related intelligence originating from an ally with Russian officials at a White House meeting. May said at the time that Britain would continue to share information with Washington, but apparently that has changed. And it may have changed again. I saw a report late today that uh, the U.K. has, uh, here we go, from CNN, the U.K., uh, reinstates intelligence sharing with the U.S., quote, after fresh assurances following leaks, according to the head of counterterrorism policing. So they have been reassured afresh that we would not do that again. So, uh, OK, all of that is going on today. And then this one piece that I had hoped to get to yesterday. Let me see if I have time to fit this in very quickly. During that call, I feel like Washington Post kind of buried the lead to some extent in their report on this call with, with uh, the Philippines. Yeah, with the president, Duterte. Uh, Trump's call with Duterte, uh, during which he extended an invitation to him to the White House, um, was met with skepticism from some foreign policy analysts and human rights groups. Since taking office in June of last year, Duterte has overseen a brutal extra, extrajudicial campaign that has resulted in the killings of thousands of suspected drug dealers. Trump has not spoken out against that strategy by Duterte, and in their call he actually praised Duterte for doing, quote, an unbelievable job on the drug problem. Many countries have the problem. We have the problem. But what a great job you are doing. And I just wanted to call and tell you that, Trump said, according to the transcript. This is amazing. Almost 9,000 people, according to Reuters, uh, many small-time users and dealers have been killed in the Philippines since Duterte took office on June 30 
of last year. 9,000 people. Police say that about one-third of the victims were shot by officers in self-defense during legitimate operations. That's coming from the police who did the shooting. So they admit that they've killed 3,000 people in these uh, extrajudicial uh, tactics. And and, And Donald Trump calls up the president and says, you're doing a phenomenal job. That's kind of scary. So, uh, you know, if you're keeping score at home so far that we know of, the Trump administration or more often Trump himself has managed to piss off our closest ally, uh, Great Britain, by leaking key intelligence. Uh, He's ticked off our other closest ally, Israel, by giving highly classified information to Russian officials during an uh, Oval Office meeting. And he has put our own national security at risk by disclosing information about the location of two nuclear submarines during a private conversation with an unstable strongman who kills thousands of his own people through extrajudicial killings on the streets of the Philippines. Other than that, everything's going great. How are we doing so far? That's just today in these United States. And... We haven't even gotten to today's Green News Report yet. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. I wish we could stop the world. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Some more breaking news. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, let's get to our latest jam-packed Green News report. That budget that Trump has presented is a grotesquely immoral budget. Trump's proposed budget cuts deeply into the environment. Mudslide buries California's iconic Pacific Coast Highway. Wind Farm Company proposes to retrain coal miners to be wind technicians for free. Plus, the Pope's gifts three of his encyclicals, one including his views on climate change. Pope Francis offers a gift and a message to President Trump. All of those gifts, all of those messages straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... Snarky comment. The National Science Foundation last year used your taxpayer money to fund a climate change musical. Do you think that's a waste of your money? No. I love musicals. This is your Green News Report. And people need to learn about climate change. Okay, Desi Doyen, you have been digging into Donald Trump's proposed budget. 
We've been speaking about how terrible it would be for the environment, but you have found it is even worse than that. (laughs) Yes, more details are emerging. It cuts everything non-military deeply to finance increased defense spending and a massive tax cut for the wealthiest Americans. In addition to the 30 percent cut to the budget of the Environmental Protection Agency, the Trump administration proposes pushing more environmental responsibilities onto the states, but then also cuts grants to the states by nearly half for everything from upgrading water infrastructure to toxic waste cleanup. The Great Lakes Protection Fund, which cleans up the drinking water supply for more than 20 million people, would be completely eliminated. That would leave the task solely to states like Ohio, which is already struggling with chronic toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie that have shut down water intakes for the city of Toledo's water supply. The National Park Service, which generates billions in tourism dollars in the states, would be cut by more than 80 percent. And despite Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt's recent promises to refocus the EPA's mission on Superfund site cleanups, Trump cuts the Superfund program by 25 percent. Because, of course, he does. But that's just what you say. Scott Pruitt, head of the EPA, said this on Fox News. The past administration talked a lot. Uh, This administration's actually taking steps to do things to clean up the environment. That was before the budget proposal came out. Oh, so he was lying to Fox News. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be very upset about it. The Washington Post reports the Trump administration is also drafting plans to sell off and privatize public assets like bridges, airports, and even highway rest stops and encourage the states to do so as well and also accelerate the environmental permitting process for new infrastructure like pipelines. Well, those highway rest stops are just there to keep people safe on the road so they have a place to rest. They're not making anybody any money. That needs to be fixed, as Doyen. Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont on MSNBC called the entire budget proposal immoral and pledged to fight it in the Senate. Environmental programs will be decimated in this country. It is an outrageous budget. It is a budget that the American people do not want. It's a budget that should not see the light of day in the U.S. Senate. Speaking of morality, on President Trump's overseas trip, Pope Francis gave Trump a nudge on climate change during his visit to the Vatican on Wednesday. Francis gave Trump a copy of his landmark encyclical on the environment, which calls action on climate change a moral duty. Activists projected an image of the words planet Earth first onto the massive dome of St. Peter's Basilica, and Vatican officials pressed Trump to stay in the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement. Donald Trump also reportedly promised he would read those books from the Pope. Do you think he will? Probably not. Is lying to the Pope any kind of high, amazing sin? There's probably a joke about something in the woods right about now. (laughs) Here in the U.S., the Justice Department sued automaker Fiat Chrysler this week, alleging the company installed secret software to cheat U.S. emissions tests, very similar to the Volkswagen emissions cheating scandal last year. Fiat Chrysler could be liable for up to $4.5 billion in fines for fraud and illegal pollution from its Jeep Grand Cherokees and Ram diesel pickup trucks sold since 2014. By the way, the vehicle testing lab that caught Volkswagen and Fiat Chrysler is also slated for a massive budget cut. 
In California, a massive landslide has buried a section of California's iconic Highway 1 in Big Sur under a 40-foot layer of rock and dirt. Likely the largest landslide in the state's history, extreme rains have caused more than $1 billion in damage to California's highways in more than 400 locations thanks to El Nino's extreme weather. Finally, a wind farm company has announced a free training program starting next month in Wyoming to retrain local former coal miners as wind turbine technicians to meet the needs for its newest wind farm. The kicker? It's a Chinese manufacturer. In other words, a Chinese company is tapping unemployed energy workers in Wyoming, showing that they can and should be retrained for new energy jobs. And there's your leadership. Thank you, China. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. No, it's a nice story. I'm glad somebody's stepping in to help out there. Even if it's the Chinese, not yeah, us. Hey, you know, anybody, and maybe it's a model that will be copied elsewhere if it works in Wyoming. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. I know you had one point you wanted to get in very quickly here. Yes, as um, we, yeah. yes. Friday, Friday, March, uh, Friday, May 26 is the last time to speak up to save the Bears Ears National Monument. It's going to be rescinded or possibly, you know, even just changed in its boundaries. Friday, last day, speak up for Bears Ears, and that would be at regulations.gov. Or speak against Bears Ears if, if you, you want like. to. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's if you right. think it speak shouldn't be a national against. monument. But yeah, regulations.gov, that's your last chance to speak up on that one. Then there's another 26 national monuments that they're also looking at reversing. Yeah. Uh, but you'll you'll have time to comment on those through July. But only Bears Ears. They have this really short period for some reason. Okay, very quickly, I mentioned there was some uh, breaking news. Uh, you'll recall a few days ago, uh, we talked about this, I think, with uh, with Digby, with Heather Digby Parton on the show. The Washington Post had reported last week that a senior White House official close to the uh, close to Donald Trump was a, quote, person of interest, but they didn't name the person. Um, Digby and I uh, speculated, I think, on this, that uh, we were guessing who it was. Looks like we may have guessed right. N- NBC has uh, this headline just in Jared Kushner now under FBI scrutiny in Russia probe, say, officials. Uh, Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, one of his senior advisors, has come under FBI scrutiny. Multiple U.S. officials tell NBC News investigators believe Kushner has significant information relative to their inquiry. Officials said that does not mean they suspect him of a crime or intend to charge him. But they are scrutinizing him. So we will uh, leave it there with that thrilling uh, cliffhanger (laughs) until our next uh, broadcast. And I hope you'll join us for it. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the popcorn. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find, follow, and share us far and wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And my thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.
Oh, oh, oh.